listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. Welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today, we have clinical assistant professor and Pitt Athletics physical therapist, Rick Jorites. Rick, welcome in. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, after a couple of scheduling conflicts and technical difficulties, I'm finally glad that we got you on the podcast. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself to everyone who's listening, um, kind of where you grew up and what got you involved in sports physical therapy? Uh, I grew up in kind of middle of nowhere, central Pennsylvania, um, came to Pitt as a freshman in 2001, did athletic training for my undergrad and graduated in 2005, and then went straight to PT school here at Pitt, graduated there in, in 2008, and I haven't left, so I would say now Pittsburgh is home. Gotcha. Um, and so what, what drew you to physical therapy as a career or, you know, you went through athletic training, but what made you choose physical therapy after graduating from athletic training program? Yeah. I mean, I think if, uh, I don't know if anyone has ever heard the story of like, I got hurt in high school and wanted to do rehab because it was cool. Like that, cause that story hasn't been told enough. Um, but I'm, I'm one of the same, like I, I had the same exact story as so many other people, um, got hurt you know, did rehab and I was like, Oh, this is a, this is a cool job. And, um, you know, so I, I just kind of followed the science route in undergrad, um, you know, did athletic training cause I, I really liked it. I, I liked the idea of, you know, you were involved with sports, you were in that, in the training room environment, you were, you know, working with teams. Um, so you're still in that sports setting and that sports role. Um, but to be honest, my favorite part, in, in all of the many, in the many hats that athletic trainers wear, my favorite part was always the rehab. Um, you know, so that drew me towards physical therapy where, you know, I could concentrate on the rehab and, you know, I could still do the sports venue and, and general outpatient orthopedics. Um, so I could stay in that same world, but, you know, the vast majority of my time is spent doing rehab. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, after PT school, uh, did you like immediately start working with Pitt or kind of tell us your journey through until like, you know, from when you graduated until where your position is now? Uh, I, my last year of PT school, I did a, my terminal, uh, year long rotation with, um, I was at the UPMC sports medicine complex. Um, so, you know, great facility to work in. Um, it's, it's really big. It's crowded it's busy it, it's it's high volume and fast paced so I, I did really like that um a lot of pts who worked in that building so it was a it was a great place to start working um because there was always people to talk to to learn from bounce ideas off of um i worked there <clears throat> um uh, a little over 10 years now that i think about it um I was there for 10 years. Um, and then in 2000, I think 12, I was approached, um, to, with the opportunity to split my time and be the physical therapist for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I quickly, 
quickly said yes to that opportunity. Um, I mean, that was, that was a no brainer. Um, I worked with the, the penguins for six years. So I split my time. My, you know, my, my days were every morning, six to seven days a week working with the penguins. And then three to four afternoons, I would go in the clinic and, and work in the, uh, in the outpatient clinic. And then in 2019, um, he, position was, you know, the idea was presented and, and position was created. Um, and after a lot of meetings and negotiations, um, a role was created that I could do split my time. I was hired through the uh, Department of Physical Therapy at Pitt. And I was basically contracted out to athletics to be the physical therapist working with football and, and men's and women's basketball. Uh, so this is year four um, in that role. Gotcha. And so, you know, as you were splitting your time between, you know, working with the penguins and then working in like general outpatient, like orthopedics, uh, kind of how did your approach change when you're working with professional athletes and, you know, weekend warriors or even like higher level, like high school athletes or like lower level, low back pain patients? Like how did your treatment approach change when working with such a variety of patients? Um. This probably surprises a lot of people, and I think a lot of times it it doesn't. Um, if you treat, you know, you treat an, an MCL sprain with a hockey player versus an MCL sprain in a high school football player, like the the time for healing is relatively the same. The steps in rehab are relatively the same. I mean, both. Both cohorts can walk straight and ride a bike before they feel comfortable doing anything laterally. There's really no difference. Um, you know, probably the, the biggest difference that I that I found very quickly was when your your normal like average Joe would start you know a strengthening program and they would start with one two or three pounds. Your higher level athletes are picking up. 10, 15 or 20 pounds. Like, and it was like that desire and capability to increase the weights is just a lot faster. Um, and it's a lot higher. Um, so I would say in the beginning stages of, of whatever rehab you're doing, like there's a lot of similarities. Um, the biggest difference in the beginning though, is that you're dealing with, you know, professionals, whether it's collegiate, um, professional adults, they're in the best shape of their life. I mean, they're, they're in like, they're in great shape. They can handle a lot more. They heal. They just, they heal faster. Their bodies are, are equipped to regenerate. Um, you have an entire staff dedicated to getting them to recover faster. Um, so they go through those early stages faster. And then, you know, the biggest change is, is the end range or the end stage training. Um, it's just a lot higher level. It's faster, it's bigger, um, it's stronger. It's, it's all of the adjectives and superlatives. Um, so it's just being equipped to like, you need to give them what they need. Gotcha. Um, so you need to know the demands like, okay, this hockey player needs to do X, Y, and Z off the ice and, and A, B, and C on the ice. And, and it was my job to prepare them to do that. Um, and then as soon as I was able to kind of hand them off to, the strength training, 
strength trainers, um, the training staff there, um, as well as the on ice coaches, um, you know, that, that was my role. Right. Um, and so I want to talk about your current role. So you're currently a clinical assistant professor for the PIT pro, uh, PT program, but also the uh, PIT Athletics PT. Kind of talk us, you know, what your role is as the professor and then your role as like a football, you said football and basketball PT. Yeah. So um, in the school, um, I I assist in our muscular correct musculoskeletal curriculum. So I assist with uh, kinesiology, um, our musculoskeletal one, two, and three series. Um, and then I teach a, um, an advanced therapeutic exercise elective um, for our second year students. Um, and then I'll do, um, I'll do a handful of lectures within each class um, during those semesters. Um, so a lot of, te- you know, some teaching, um, specifically lectures and then a lot of help with the labs and, and just my role has been um, basically bring that real world experience to the conversation. Um, you know, here is a very research based um, institution. You know, it's a lot of evidence based practice, um, always preaching like here's here's the why behind it. And then, you know, you see all these studies that are put up on, you know, on the slides and, and, and students are learning that way. But then I'll bring in that point of like, okay, here's what it's actually going to look like in week one versus week three versus week six, and then kind of give that clinical example. And, and that's kind of the piece that I bring to, to the conversation. Um, what's great about the way we teach at Pitt is, is you can have one person, um, one person is lecturing, but there are at least two to three faculty members, as well as other local um, physical therapists helping the TA in the class as well. So there's a lot of different perspectives um, for the students. So, you know, the best classes are the ones where either we just start bantering with each other or just asking each other questions, challenging each other. And the, and the students get to learn from that and they just listen in and, and hear us go back and forth on a variety of topics. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, what, when you're teaching those classes, what are some like good qualities, um, of, of good students or prospective PTs that you see? Um, cause you know, hopefully there's lots of prospective PT students or current PT students that are in there. So what are some, from a pers- professor's viewpoint, what are some like good qualities or good characteristics of good PT students? Um, you can always tell, you can always tell the students that want to be better than just good enough in the labs. I think that in this day and age, um, you know, in, you know, I don't really have anything to compare it to other than, than Pitt, but you know, all of the students that we have year after year, they are just so driven and motivated and they want, you know, and, and a is not good enough. They want, you know, the hundred percent and, and they'll argue over like one tw- test question and, and I'll sit there and like, I don't care at all, but I have to just smile and nod and like, <laughs> listen to these, these questions and complaints about, you know, some random question. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like the, the, you got an A, like, what are we talking about here? Um, but when we get into lab, you find the students that um, they, they want to know why they, you know, whatever we're doing, um, you know, they, and we're constantly, we're preaching the details We're you know, be consistent with, you know, even if it's just goniometry, like 
at the very basic level, like get down to eye level with your goniometer, because if you're not at eye level, then you, you don't know if you're accurately reading this. And if you just create that habit immediately, that habit sticks with you. Um, so you see the students who like pick up on that faster. And then when we start getting into the musculoskeletal curriculum and we teach about, you know, the injuries and differential diagnosis and how to examine and evaluate a patient, um, they start asking why, and they want to know like the subtle differences, like it could be both, but it's probably this because of this reason. And the students that want to like have that conversation and understand that principle are, are usually the ones that that do better. Um, the ones that volunteer, um, to help out with, you know, all the extracurricular things, um, usually goes a long way, like just showing that motivation. Right. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit more about your role, you know, as the pit athletics PT. So, um, you said you cover men's, men's and women's basketball, as well as football, um, kind of walk us through kind of, uh, how, how your day goes working in or working with pit athletics. So our, our semesters changed um, this past year. So I'm no longer with um, men's and women's basketball. I help oversee it. Um, the UPMC sports resident actually works with them now. We, we cultivated that relationship. Um, so I help oversee that from a mentoring standpoint. Um, but the day-to-day is, you know, six to seven days a week. Um, you know, I'm with football in the morning. We're a morning practice team, uh, which is definitely my preference. Um it's so every morning I'm, I'm with football. So it's, it's the quote unquote off season right now. Um, but as I got an email from a, a colleague today, he's like, I, I thought football doesn't start again until August. And my reply was like, football never stops. Um, so, you know, even now it, it's, it's the off season. I'm, I'm still going in, um, to see a couple of guys who are locally, um, in town and, and finish up with their rehabs. But mornings, um, you know, during the season, there's uh, most days I'm getting there um, at 5.30 or 6 o'clock at the latest. Um, we've got, whether it's in-season practice or um, off-season, like lifting programs and, and running out on the field and, and football activities, uh, we'll have that in the morning, grab lunch. And then on days that I have teaching responsibilities, um, luckily the PT building is literally a four minute drive, um, away. So all I have to do is, is cross a bridge and, um, I'll just shoot over to the school and, um, class is usually in the afternoons, uh, from one to five. Um, so I'll do that. Some days we, you know, we go a little longer. We teach, you know, like the one class that I teach, I'm teaching there till six. So it's not uncommon that, um, you know, I, put in a 12 hour day. And so, you know, with your responsibilities of being, um, the PT for the, for, for Pitt, uh, you are obviously working with the athletic trainers, with the strength coaches, with, you know, you're communicating with position coaches. Um, so what's, what's one of the key things to making sure you have like clear communication amongst all of those different team members, all of those different moving parts for like a large organization? Um, it, it's always easier said than done. Um, and everybody preaches like communication is a must and, and no one is wrong when they, when they say that. Um, I think the successful scenarios are the ones where the people are consistent with the communication. Um, ideally there are several, um, either sports medicine or, or like, you know, the whole performance team getting together and, and you know, whether that's on a, a daily, a weekly, a biweekly, you know, whatever the, the 
frequency is, um, more is, is always better. Um, or at the very least, um, it's going across the hall and, and talking to the strength staff. Um, if something comes up, um, it's, I usually don't talk too much with position coaches. Um, you know, the way we structure it is that all of the communication to the coaching staff comes from the head athletic trainer so that there is one voice. Um, there is no conflicting opinions, um, statements, thoughts, there's one voice. Um, and that, I think that principle works really well. Um, you know, there's, I'm aware of questions and, and scenarios. So that if the coach does ask me, I, I know quote unquote, what the answer is. Um, and if there is, you know, if I'm asked a question about a player and, and I don't directly know the answer, like I, I'm not afraid to say that I, I, I don't know that answer. Go talk to, go talk to the head athletic trainer. Um, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. I don't want to be mistaken about anything. I can't, you know, create any, um, create any points of confusion um, with communication. So uh, I'm quite, I'm perfectly fine with saying like, look, here's, you want to talk to this guy. Um, the, you know, so my main responsibility is working with the, the post-ops and long-term rehabs. Um, and we have one strength coach who his main responsibility is to uh, do the strength training for the, you know, for the injured guys. And so it, what's great is that he and I talk usually daily. Um, I mean, right now the, it's a little slow time in the season right now. Um, but during the season when things, you know, when there's a higher volume or when, when things are moving and changing a lot more frequently, we're talking daily, if not more than once a day, um, just keeping each other, you know, here's what I did in PT. Here's what I plan to do tomorrow. This is how he, um, how he responded. Um, and then I'll get, you know, his workout from him. Like, this is, this is what we're doing today. This is what the plan is for tomorrow. This is how he responded. You know, is it okay if I do that? I was thinking about doing this. Are you good with that? And it's just a constant back and forth. And, um, a lot of times the smartest thing that I can do is just get out of his way. Um, you know, he's a, he's a professional, his, his wheelhouse is getting these guys stronger and faster and, and doing all the on-field training. And, and yes, I can do it. I'm, I'm perfectly equipped to do it, but this is what he does best. So I kind of take the, um, I take the mindset of thinking like my job is to prepare, you know, the athlete to do the strength conditioning. And if I can do that, he's going to take care of the rest. Right. Um, and so, you know, kind of going more upon, upon that point and something you said earlier about how, you know, these college and professional athletes that you've worked with before are, kind of like when we're picking up our one pound weight, they're picking up their, their 10 pound weight. Uh, how do you kind of continually challenge these athletes and making sure that they have enough stimulus to be able to prepare them for, in your case, football. So like repeated car accidents over and over and over, how do you kind of prepare them the best you can and challenge them enough so that when they are ready to go back to the strength staff and then ready to go back onto the field, that they're as ready as possible? Um, it, it's hard. Um, it, it's, I'll be honest. Um, it, it takes a conscious effort because you, if, if I have an off day and, or, you know, think I'm going to have an off day where it's like, okay, let's do, you know, we've been doing three sets of 15 and like the weight just stays the same. And, you know, I'm, 
picking three sets of 15 for a purpose. Um, if I'm having an off day, like I don't, I don't change anything, but what it, it does take a conscious effort to like, okay, you did your first set of 15 and you've got more in the tank. We're upping the weight for set two. Okay. You still have more in the tank. We're upping the weight for set three. So it is that like conscious effort to, you've got to periodize your, your workouts. You've got to think like, okay, I'm in this phase and I'm trying to build endurance. What are my sets and reps supposed to be? I'm going to stay in, in this range for sets and reps. This is what he did last time. Not sore, not tired. Um, no pain, no inflammation. Like, okay, we're going up and okay. Set one. How'd you respond? You good? All right. Set two. We're bumping up. How'd you respond? That was a struggle. Like you barely finished the, you know, the amount of reps. Okay. We'll stay there. Um, if we have to back down, we'll back down, but it is that conscious effort to, to stay on, on task. Like, you know, I'm in a, a hypertrophy phase. I'm in a strength training phase. I'm starting to approach that phase where I want to include elements of power. So what do my sets and reps need to be? And I need to, um, I need to pick the appropriate intensity um, and then getting them quote unquote ready for football. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big, like you need to do your, your testing um, at the end. You can't just, I, I hate, you know, don't want to turn this into a soapbox, but I, I hate the, well, let's go see how he does approach. Right. I mean, that, that's just, what are we doing at, at that point? Um, so I want to say, you know, lately I, I've treated just a, a ton of shoulders. So it, it's been a ton of, um, you know, shoulder return to sport testing. And I want you to pass these, these elements and, and not that I don't have a, a foolproof way of saying, if you pass this, you're going to succeed when you, when you go back. But I take the mindset of, well, I need to make sure that you're not failing this, um, before you, you know, you're not going back or you're not, you know, even entertaining the idea of doing contact drills, um, unless you can pass this, um, because if you fail it, then I know you're not ready. Um, if you pass it, I, I, I feel pretty good about you going back. Um, but at the end of the day, like we, we don't know, there's no magical test. Um, I mean, we're, we're trying to come up with, you know, we, for all the tests that we do, we, we think they all make sense. And, and I, I like where we're at with it, but it's still that, you know, you watch them go back and you're just keeping that extra eye on them. Like just hoping, okay. Like just kind of, kind of that waiting part of like, you good, you good. You took a big hit. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, you know, kind of going more onto that, like how to challenge those high level athletes. Uh, do you have any recommendations on how to improve that like higher level decision-making when returning to sport, whether it's like, continuing education courses or anything else like that um, for anybody that's looking to, you know, expand on their knowledge on making sure they prepare athletes and, you know, people for, for higher level activities. Um, yeah, I, I think it starts with, I mean, knock out your basics first. Um, you know, there, you've got to get your, your full range of motion and your mobility. Um, you know, your active and passive range of motion need to be full. Um, you know, if you're going to leave motion a little bit short, you better understand why. So if you've got um, somebody who's a little more hypermobile, maybe not a, you know, younger patient, not nearly as muscularly developed, you know, and they're, 
let's say their their overhead flexion is five degrees less than the other side and they just had a stabilization procedure it was like well maybe you leave them a little bit tight because over the next year or two they are going to loosen up so maybe you don't have to crank on them and get them to exactly 180 degrees and, and 175 is going to be just fine um i mean it's obviously functionally appropriate and and with the normal limits so that's going to be fine um the strength is a big one. The strength cannot be manual muscle testing. Um, manual muscle testing is good enough for ADLs. It's not good enough for sports. It's not even. It's not even close. You, you've got to find some way to objectively assess strength. So, hardly, you know, I, I'd be curious to see what the population actually has access to something like a, a BioDex or any isokinetic dynamometer. Um, you know, obviously that's the gold standard, but you know, just so many people don't have access to it. So can we do things like one rep max testing on a knee extension machine? Um, can we get, um, handheld dynamometers and strain gauges and, you know, use those and, and you objectively get a number. Um, so that's, that's a big part of it. Um, and it's not even, um, it, it makes the conversation very easy um, when you show it to the athlete, you show it to the coach, you show it to, show it to the rest of the staff. Like your strength is, you know, I want to play. Your strength is at 82%. You're not playing, right? It's not good enough. Um, you know, getting above that 90, 95% level is just starting to say the phrase good enough. Like we'll entertain the idea of you going back to, back to some level of participation. Um, handful of functional tests, um, you know, that you want to do. And, and I think it's just for the, um, for the PT that that's looking like what to do is, is look at, look at the evidence, um, you know, look what's being published on a regular basis and, and look to see what tests are a testing what you think they're testing and, and B provides good reliability and, and validity. Um, you know, if it's not, um, hop tests are probably the perfect example. Like they were, they were a mainstay with, with ACL rehab, um, and return to sport testing for so long. And then, you know, over the past probably three to five years, it, it's coming out that hop testing is really just showing you whether or not the athlete can, or the patient can hop well or not. Um, it doesn't tell you anything about how they do the hop, how they land the hop. Um, and there's just a, a lower correlation to quad strength than we originally thought. So over the last three to five years, I, you know, I've looked at that data and I thought like, well, maybe I don't, I don't need to do hop testing or, or maybe I'm going to put a lot less emphasis on, on hop testing. Um, you know, so I, you know, the, the return to sport testing is, is just, it's always being updated. Um, you know, it's looking at the, looking at the research and like, okay, what's, what should be included and what maybe doesn't need to be included. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to be this huge exhaustive list. It just has to be the appropriate things. Um, and if you're not able to complete all of those things, maybe reach out for help and find somewhere, someone and somewhere to do the testing appropriately. Right. Um, so we'll get to some less clinical questions, but do you have a favorite memory of working with uh, Pitt Athletics? Anything that stands out from um, anything on field or anything that you've experienced like in the training room or anything like that, anything that's really stuck out to you and said, huh, maybe this is like, this is why I really enjoy my job. Um, I think it's always those times where, 
um, you know, you work with, you work with, you know, whether it's, it's a starter, it's a, you know, a, a young freshman who's on the, the scout team. But I, I think that day when they're finally cleared is that doesn't get old. Um, that's still like, it's always a long journey. Um, I mean, you're getting the post ops. It's such a, it's a long road. It, it's up and down. Um, it's sideways, inside and out. Um, it's never that straight line of progression. Um, and they know, and, and what I try to do from, from day one is just set those expectations of like, football is a while away. Like, here's your first short-term goal. This is what we're working towards. And once we meet that, we set a new short-term goal. So it's it just, I try to keep them engaged as much, much as possible. So if you're looking at football and that's anywhere from six to 12 months away, like they're going to, they're going to go crazy. Like they're going to, you know, it, it's mental health is, is such a huge factor now and, and it's on the forefront and, and I'm just always looking out for it and just, you know, again, trying to keep them engaged because if they think solely of football, which is 12 months away, you're almost asking them to go down a road of depression. Um, but if we keep a short-term goal, that's maybe two to three weeks away. Like now they're engaged. Now they're, they're working towards something. They achieve it. It's like, okay, new goal. What is it? Um, you know, here were your, here were your numbers last time we tested you. Let's see where you are now. And, and then they want to beat it and they want to get better and they want to see that they're getting better. And, you know, it, it just keeps them locked in and, and it keeps them engaged. Um, so long-winded answer, but to get back to it, I think it's when they get back on the field, you know, that first game is like the they've got ear-to-ear smiles and, and that never gets old. Um, they're excited. They pass their test. They know they had this huge test to pass. They do it. Um you know, I, I make a big deal about it. I I email and call or I text and, and call all of the position coaches and the head coach and, and tell the, the strength staff right away. And I purposely make it a big deal. And, and I think they appreciate that, that it's like the whole building is happy that, um, you know, we just had a couple of guys pass um, two or three weeks ago, um, you know, shoulder surgeries and, and they passed all their testing and, and full clearance. They're good to go for uh, for summer camp, and so I texted position coaches, called the head coach, and like it, it just trickles down, and they just know that you care. Um, so I think that's that's the best part. I mean that that never gets old. There's no difference with the outpatient clinic if you're working with the um, you know the the high school athlete that did the same thing, or you know the the middle aged weekend warrior that like like was had just debilitating pain from an injury or, I mean, let's say it's just back pain. Um, you know, now all of a sudden, like, Hey, now I, I can, I can golf now pain free and I can, I'm, I'm good. I'm back to my normal ADLs and, you know, level of function. And, and it's no less rewarding seeing those patients, like having that ear to ear smile as well. Um, so it, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the sports gets all the, the glitz and glamor, but seeing that, like, that high school kid, you know, that you got to know the the patient, you got to know like their family and, and it's just long road and like, it's no less exciting. Like, and, and there's days like I miss that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we all get into this profession to, you know, help people get back to what they're, what they love doing or, you know, just help them get out of pain. So um, like you said, I don't think there's any difference uh, from working with professional athletes to, you know, weekend warriors. Um, last question for you, Rick, before we get you out of here. Uh, do you have any advice for any aspiring sports PTs, uh, you know, whatever, whatever level they're at, if they're an undergrad still deciding on PT school, if they're current PT students or, you know, any, anybody that wants to get into the sports arena, um, what, what advice would you have for them? 
Um, I think if you go, when you're in PT school, like you've, you've got to get involved. You've got to, uh, you got to do well in your musculoskeletal classes. You've got to, you got to stand out. You've got to be the one that, um, you know, obviously you get the good grades, but you've got just great work ethic, great attitude. Um, trust me the the professors, we, we always notice, um, we can always pick out the ones that just kind of have that it factor and, and who don't. Um, and we can also pick out the ones that, you know, we can, it's hidden, but we see it and we can, we can bring it out of you. Um, and, and those are the best students to work with. Um, but I think it's like, we just had the Pittsburgh marathon, um, this past Sunday. And it's like, you've got to get involved in volunteer for those types of activities. And, and just like, you have to make sure that you know what you're signing up for and you, like getting involved and, and you start to see it and you start to, you know, if you shadow with some of the local athletic trainers and just assist them, like, Hey, you know, I, I'm interested in, in sports medicine. Like, can I help you out? Can I shadow you? You know, can I help you set up and tear down practice and fill up Gatorade cups and, you know, fold towels and do all the little things. Um, you know, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and, and do the grunt work um, because we all do it. And, and I've, you know, I'm, 39 years old, I, I've, I've done sports t PT for most of my career, and I'm still folding towels and cleaning tables at the end of the day. And, and you, you can't ever get to a point where you're above it. Um, but it's got to be a lot of volunteer experience as well. Um, you know, looking, you know, shadowing and, and seeing what it is, because um, you need to really make sure that it is what you want. Like I described a workday that is, I never have a workday that's less than eight hours. Um, I rarely have weekends off. Like it's like Saturdays and Sundays, like from August till the end of the season, like it's, it's guaranteed I'm working seven days a week, like no questions asked. Um, and is that something you want? Um, if it's not like sports PT is probably not for you. Um, there's nothing wrong with being in the clinic Monday through Friday and you work that 40 hour week and, and you see a bunch of athletes like that's, that's a great schedule. Um, it's just kind of which environment and, and lifestyle is best for you. Right. Um, I think that's, you know, that's great advice. People, people on this podcast have always said, you know, getting involved is super important and kind of making sure that this field is right for you is also super important because you don't want to get into it and then realize that this is, there's a lot more work ahead of you than, than you realize. Um, but with that, Rick, that's with all the great advice and great, um, you know, experience and knowledge that you shared. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to plug before you get you out of here? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Good questions. Good, good chop session here. Okay, perfect. Um, Rick, again, thank you for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for having me. Huge thank you to Rick Jorites of the Pittsburgh Panthers football team for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. If you like what you heard today or want to hear more episodes from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.